time I see that clip and the music starts to come in when Matt Damon is looking at, at Bagger, Will Smith, and that, I start to feel it. I don't know. I'm a feeler. I'm not a thinker. I don't know how many feelers we have in this room, but when that music gets going, it takes me somewhere. And it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing that I'm in touch with my emotions because I know that when I am experiencing healthy emotions that line up with the fruit of the Spirit, that means I'm believing what's true. And what I'm believing when I'm watching that clip is that I understand the gift that God has given to me. I know what I've been forgiven of. I know that I have not been judged by the Father because Christ is in me. John 3.17 says, God sent His Son into the world not to condemn or judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. This morning we were in the other building and during the worship time I was standing over there and I was remembering what I've been forgiven of in my life. And the voices that have spoken into my life that were healthy voices. I've had a lot of voices speaking into my life that were not healthy. And I cared so much about other people's opinions and performing good enough to try to get their good opinion that I was captive for most of my life. I still struggle with it. I think we all do. It's what we call the big lie. That my worth and value comes from what you think about me and how well I perform. But the truth is, the only one whose opinion that matters is whose. Yeah, God's. Absolutely. And if God says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, why do I buy into those lies? It's because I forget who I really am. If you're a believer, Christ is in you and his is the only opinion that matters. Remember that. I want you to think about something for a second. You saw Juna, who was, who was the legend of Bagger Bands. Bagger was the caddy. Juna was the golfer. Juna is ready to be done. He's going to pick up the ball. He's going to withdraw from the tournament. He's done. He's got all these voices and lies speaking into him, thinking he's not good enough. He can't do it. He had been through World War I where he had lost so many of his friends, been shot at, all these things happening. And those voices are haunting him now that he's not good enough because he wasn't performing well in the tournament. And is about ready to pick up the ball when Bagger comes over and he says, you know, you might want to get a different club there. And Juno has every excuse of why he needs to quit. Bagger doesn't judge him, shame him, shun him. He gets into his world and encourages him in who he really is. He says, you got to find your swing. The swing you was given when you came into this world. Everybody in this room has a story. We have a purpose, we have a calling, we have a passion. And somehow, something or someone has robbed us that we've forgotten who we are. But here's the thing, when I say someone, I'm not talking about a person. I'm talking maybe a person that bought into lies. But the author of the one that maybe caused that person to judge you or shame you is buying into lies that are coming from where? The enemy, Satan. This morning, we're going to be talking about creating a safe place. And if you don't know who you are, if you're buying into those lies and you don't know how to untangle those lies, that poison is going to continue to pass on from person to person, generation to generation. I want you to think about something for a second. I want everybody in this room to imagine you have an addiction. Now, you do, but it might not be one that's really obvious. It could be something like judgment that maybe someone can't see. But everybody's got an addiction. But I want you to think about picking an addiction right now that's one that you would go, ooh, I'm glad I don't have that one. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's an eating addiction. Maybe it's an anger addiction. Maybe it's alcoholism, workaholism, drug addiction. 
Just pick one. Now here's my question. You got the addiction in your head? Okay. What could someone do or say to you, knowing your addiction, that would not help you get past it? Somebody tell me something. What could someone do or say? Just stop it. Remember that Bob Newhart? Just stop it. Great episode. You have to put that on YouTube later. Just stop it, Bob Newhart. Hilarious. Did you say Bob Newhart? How old are you? <laughs> Anyhow, moving right along. This is like when we're together, it's like the... It's toxic. It's toxic, yes. <laughs> but what else could someone do or say? They could interrupt you, right? Now, what could someone do or say? That wouldn't it be helpful to help you get past your addiction? Stop it. How about if someone said, you know what? I'm praying for you. Seriously? That's like that shaming statement. I know you really screwed up. You... And if someone ever says to you, well, bless your heart, that's a southern term. You know what it usually means? You stupid idiot. <laughs> so if someone says it's not always a good thing. But seriously, they could shun you, shame you, not get into your world, not ask you questions, tell you to stop it, tell you I'm praying for you, which we would hope wouldn't have a good connotation. But now, same addiction. What could someone do or say that would help you move past that addiction? Give me something. I understand where you're coming from. Wow. Yeah. Empathy. What else? Let me help you. Let me walk with you. Let me get to know you. <clears throat> Everybody has a story. God knows our story. And if he died for our sins, he knew our story, and he's not judging us, why do we think we have to judge each other? I was flying on a plane from, from Indianapolis to California a few years ago, four-hour flight, and I travel a lot, speaking. I'm all over the country. I wanted to sleep. I get on the plane. The plane takes off, and the lady beside me is crying. I'm going, seriously? And I'm, I, God knows I'm a feeler, right? And I'm like going, I don't want to be beside someone crying right now. I just want to sleep. So I put the seat back hoping she's going to stop. And she doesn't. And God goes, I want you to speak to her. I'm like, all right. So I put the seat up and I just kind of looked at her. And I said, ma'am, I said, are you okay? She's like, no. I said, what happened? She said, we had to let someone go from our church this past weekend. And I'm really struggling with it now. I said, why would you have to let someone go from your church? She said, well, there was a certain sin in their life, and I approached her with it. I knew what it was. I approached her, and she wasn't going to let it go. And she goes, so I, I followed the biblical mandate, and I, I took a witness and went to her. And she still wasn't willing to, to change the behavior. So I did the next thing, which says we're to take it before the church. So I took it before the church. She still wasn't willing to, to change and repent of it. So we had to do the next step. And I, she didn't know me from Adam, and I just kind of played dumb. And I said, well, what's the next step? She says, well, at that point, the Bible says you treat them like a pagan and tax collector. And I said, what does that mean to you, to treat someone like a pagan and tax collector? She said, well, I was always taught it means you shake the dust off your feet and have nothing to do with them. How many people do you know have truly been changed by guilting, shaming, shunning, and judging? Anybody? Seriously? And I said, so treating them like a pagan and tax collector, so where is that found in the Bible? She goes, well, it's in Matthew. I said, oh, that's right. And then I said, and what was Matthew? What was he? He was a tax collector. How did Jesus treat tax collectors? Her face changed like that aha moment, the revelation. 
And she looked at me and the tears began to start again. And she said, he loved them. How many of you have had those conversations with your significant, your, your, your spouse, your, your kids, your boss, family members, where it's, it's what we call speed bumps. You can't get past something because you guys keep doing this thing to each other. In creating a safe place, when you're having conversations, if you have to win, you've already lost. And you can't have a safe conversation bringing the way that God has called us to love each other unless you know who you really are. Because if your identity is in what they think about you, you will try and manipulate them 100% of the time to get your needs met. Or you will allow them to manipulate you to get your needs met. We'll touch on that a little bit later. Chris? Yeah, I like what you said, Brent, as far as the, if you have to win, you'll manipulate 100% of the time. Yeah, and you've already lost. You've already lost. <clears throat> it's important for us somehow, for some reason, to win. Um, you know, men, do you love losing in arguments to your wives? Do you love that? You know, when I went to, do you guys ever notice this when you go to Cracker Barrel, uh, what I see a lot of times, and I, I'm not, it sounds like I'm making fun of it, but it really seems like this is what's happening. A lot of the men, older men uh, going into Cracker Barrel are, are kind of bent over. Now, the woman is walking upright. Somehow she is really doing great. The man is bent over, and I notice that he's talking to himself like this as she's walking in front of him, and I think he's trying to win back every argument that he's lost. <laughs> because you think about the arguments that we get into, and you think about creating a safe place, and I want you to just examine that now. Are you a safe person? I would say that some of us think we are, but ask your kids, can you tell me everything? Do you feel like you can be yourself around me? Ask your spouse. If your spouse disagrees with you, how do you handle that? Being a safe person also isn't someone who just goes, you're right, I'm sorry. That's just giving up. We're talking about is creating a safe place where people can actually be served. That beautiful episode that we saw in that movie clip where Juna is going through the memories of the past and then the Holy Spirit played by Will Smith comes in and creates this safe environment for him to get past the lies of the enemy. I've shared this with you before, but 1 Thessalonians 5.23, the Apostle Paul, describes human beings as being made up of three parts. There's the body, the outer circle. That's where our actions are. That's where, that's what we, how we live it out. Our soul is our mind, our heart, our emotions. It's our will. It's where we live. When I'm troubled, it's because my soul is troubled. When I'm happy, it's because my soul is happy. But the eternal part of me, the real part of me, who I am, who you are, is your spirit. That's who we are. It never changes. And the Bible says that when you and I accept what God has done for us, we believe. The Bible says that Christ comes into us, 
God comes into us, the almighty God, who is how righteous? On a scale of 1 to 10, how righteous? 100, you're right. But on a scale of 1 to 10, let's just say 10. Okay, 10. Then, when God, who is 100% righteous, comes into us in the form of his Holy Spirit, God injects into us like a big syringe, as we like to see, his righteousness. There is nothing that you and I do to earn that righteousness, and because there's nothing that I do to earn it, there is nothing I can do to lose it. Think on that. A lot of us believe, and we would say, no, I don't believe that. But what happens after you sin? How close do you feel to the Father? How long does it take after you sin based on the degree of while you've rated your sins? How long does it take you to feel like you're back in the good graces with the Father again so that you can begin to maybe ask him for blessings once again? How long is your groveling time? How long do you feel like you need to show God how serious you are about changing this time? That's a belief that your righteousness has something to do with you. Yeah. So, I who have God in my life, you who have God in your life, how righteous are we? If God is a 10 in righteousness, how righteous are you? Is anybody here this morning? <laughs> With your outdoor voices, someone help the poor bald man. A 10. You're a 10. Now, if you have been caught in an argument with your son who tells you that you never listen, that you're the worst listener in the world, and you're feeling disrespected, how valuable are you? Has your value and your worth changed? No. Has your righteousness gone less? No. So therefore, why do we need to win? When your spouse says... You never help like we, I ask you to, and you're standing there thinking of all the things that you have just done that he or she does not notice, and you feel devalued. Has your value gone down? No. She can't touch your value. He can't touch your value. You are complete in Christ. And so, because of that, I can now enter in to someone else's world cleanly like the Holy Spirit did with Juna and he can begin to help Juna deal with the lies of the enemy. Can I see that three circles again? Real quick, let me explain to you what's happening. You're righteous, but the Satan, it says in Ephesians 6, is shooting flaming arrows into our soul, our mind, trying to tell us, trying to remind us of who we are as a sinner, trying to tell us that our value is going down. Send the signals. You can see in that clip, 
Junah is hearing the clips of the war in his head. He's reminded of what he's done. He's reminded of what he's become, an alcoholic, a, a guy who's out of control in his life. And he's ready to make an unhealthy choice based on the lies that he's believing. The Holy Spirit comes in, and all he does is remind him that he has a choice. He has a choice. You and I have a choice every moment to either live according to the Holy Spirit in us, which is simply this. As the lies are reigning in, I'm believing what the enemy says. I'm going to make an unhealthy decision. And then I remember by the Holy Spirit reminding me, hey, your value and your worth has not been touched. You're complete. Your value doesn't come from what people think or how well you perform. It comes with your identity in Christ. You're complete, man. Now I live according to the Holy Spirit, and I experience the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. If I ignore the truth, then I'm going to make an unhealthy decision. And in the case of dealing with people who are struggling... If Brent is struggling and Brent calls me a name, I believe the lies of the enemy. He just disrespected you, and now I'm going to up my game because that's what a man does. A man goes, ooh, hey, those are fighting words because I need to stand up for myself. It's a totally different world. Brent? I think the biggest thing for me when I think about it is mind-boggling is there's nothing I can do or say that can make God love me more. I can't perform to any kind of a level because my righteousness is as filthy rags, is what the scripture talks about, on my own. And here's the beautiful thing, there's nothing I can do or say that can make God love me less. That's the beautiful thing about grace. And here's something I want you to remember this morning. Grace always leads to obedience, or it's not grace. I get tired of hearing people say, all this cheap grace, you can just go do whatever you want to do. If they're saying that, they don't understand grace. Romans chapter 2, verse 4 says, don't you know it's God's loving kindness, patience, and tolerance that leads you towards repentance? Repentance isn't groveling like he was talking about. Repentance means changing the way you think. I had a guy come into my office, and he was struggling. He'd had a couple of affairs. He was beaten down, feeling like he couldn't ever be good enough for God. And so I was trying to help him understand his righteousness. I said, can there be any sin in heaven? He said, no. I said, then God must be a 10 on a 10 scale. He said, yeah. I said, after what you did, how righteous are you? Thinking maybe he would understand the righteousness we're talking about. He says, ooh, I'm probably only a 2. And I'm thinking, he just had a couple of affairs. If he's a 2 and I thought I was a negative 2 million, God, how does this work? And I said, well, how do you think you're going to get into heaven if you're only a two? And he looked at me and he said, try harder. It's not fake it till you make it. It's not try harder. It's not tighten your belt. When Christ died for your sins, he died for your sins, past, present, and future. This righteousness from God through Jesus Christ, it came through faith, and it's good for all who believe. But somehow we think we have to do all these things. And he wasn't understanding the righteousness part. So I, I told him this joke. I said, 
hey, this guy dies, he goes to heaven, he walks up to St. Peter at the pearly gates, and he goes, how many points do I have to have to get into heaven? St. Peter goes, I don't know, how many points you got? He says, well, I went to church every Sunday as a kid, even as a teenager, I was involved in a youth group, I helped deliver meals on wheels, and he goes, eh, I'll give you a point. He's like, one point? He goes, man, I volunteered, I was an usher, I, I got ordained, I was on the staff for 17 years. He goes, I'll give you a point. He's like, one? About that time, some other guy died, and he walks right past the two of them without stopping into heaven, and this guy's livid. He goes, St. Peter, how many points did this guy have? He goes, I don't know. He's not playing this game. <laughs> There's nothing we can do or say that make God love us more or less. This righteousness from God through faith in Christ Jesus is good for all who believe. The moment that he came in, you were made 100% complete. Not the old Jerry Maguire, you complete me. Your spouse can't ever complete you. And if you're trying to get that out of them, you're going to try to manipulate them to get your needs met, aren't you? But if, like Chris said, if you know who you are, I don't need to manipulate. I don't need to win the argument. I can be a better listener. I can be more curious and get into your world and ask questions. You know, men, she doesn't respect me. Well, maybe if you love your wife, she would respect you. You don't wait for the other person to give you what you want or do something. That's manipulation. When I'm living out of who I really am, Luke 6 says, my true being brims over into true words and deeds. I love it, Brent. In fact, let's quickly go into how we would then manage that because there's what we do when we're in a situation. This is what's happening in the Juno clip where he's... He's dealing with the lies of the enemy. We have all of this. If you have Christ in you, we have this at our fingertips, the yeah. verse, real quick. What was the Romans 12.2. No, the one. <laughs> it was just up there. Anyways, we take our thoughts and our emotions into captivity, and we live out of our identity Second Christ. Corinthians Yeah, 10. thank you. Yeah. There we go. We use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers, erected against the truth of God, which is everything that the enemy says about us. Fitting every loose thought, emotion, and impulse, and action to the structure of life, life shaped by Christ. And so what we do is we do this. Go to the four steps, and then we want to play it out real quick. <laughs> We're playing tag back and forth. I got it. You got it. No, I got it. Here's what we want to do, everybody, is if you know, you take your spiritual temperature. If I am having an unhealthy emotion, which is not a fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, you know, self-control, I'm feeling anxiety, anger, frustration. I feel like I'm a loser, hopeless, whatever. I identify the unhealthy emotion. Therefore, I'm believing something that isn't true. So the next thing I do is identify the unhealthy thought. Holy Spirit, what is it that I'm thinking that is causing this emotion? Because I guarantee it's a lie. And then after I write that down, I'm going to identify the truth. It doesn't matter if that person respects me or not. I don't need them to respect me. My value is not impacted by their disrespect because I'm 100% righteous. And then I renew my mind. Romans 12, 2. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, we throw that in there. Write that down. That's gold. But I want to show you real quick before we close because we've got three minutes, Brent. Yeah. And that is this. We want to we show you what it looks like, how to have a confrontation by living out of your identity in Christ, what it looks like, and by not living out of your identity in Christ. Here's the first one, father and son. I'm the son, he's the dad because he's much older than me. And we're going to show Brent dealing with me as his son, forgetting that he's 100% righteous in Christ. You ready? 
You never listen to me. I am so sick and tired. You are the worst listener in the world, and I will never tell you another thing in my life. I can repeat everything you said to me in the last five tell minutes me right verbatim. Now. What is it? Right I don't now. need to tell. You know I listen to you I'm all the so time. I'm so sick of this. You this know is what? A I'm joke. your dad. You should respect hey, me. Why don't you deserve it? How's that working? Those are the speed bumps we talked about. Because I am needing something from him. I'm needing respect. And as long as I need respect, because I'm forgetting I already have everything I'll ever need in Christ, I'm going to act exactly how I just did because he's being disrespectful. My good enough is coming from him. Right? Exactly. Now, let's do the same thing, only this time. Let me kind of use what we're talking about. I'm going to yeah. get into his world. I'm going to use some truth. Just watch the difference. Okay. This is my cell phone. Right. <laughs> Dad, I'm serious. You are the worst listener I've ever seen in my life. I try to tell you things. You're satirical. You're always making fun of me. And you never pay any attention to anything I say. And I'm sick of it. You know what? You're exactly right. I don't listen well. I'm sorry. Huh? <laughs> you see the difference? It's like when you're working with you know, someone or you're having a spouse or having a problem, when you take personal responsibility, because if someone's coming after you, if you get defensive, chances are what they're saying about you is true. But if I don't need for him to think of me in a, in a way that I approve of, I can take personal responsibility and say, you know what, you're exactly right. I am so sorry. And then the next step is I'm going to understand before being understood. So what I hear you saying is, I really don't listen well to you. No, you don't. You're the worst. Yeah, that must, that must really be hard. I am so sorry. I used empathy. That's understanding. I'm getting into his world to know where he's coming from. Now, the next thing I might do with that is, I'm going to use I in the word God in the acrostic. I stands for inquire or asking questions. You know, son, I know that must really be hard. I, I, how does that make you feel when I do that? I just feel like I don't matter. My opinion, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a man, Dad. I'm a grown man. <laughs> well, son, that's debatable. But, <laughs> oh. <laughs> but that's what not to do. But you can see how asking questions. Now, as I'm asking questions, this is a disarming technique, really what it is. But I'm not using it to manipulate. I'm using it to get to what's true, to move in the relationship so it's safe. So as I'm asking questions, I may still go back and get more truth. I may try to get more understanding. And that comes through asking questions because at that point, he feels heard and listened to. Notice, I didn't interject how I felt at all until we get to where things are toned down. And now, D in guide is, I can discuss my feelings. Son, I don't listen well. And I guess it's because I want you to know that I do have some things that I can offer you, and I, and I think maybe my years of wisdom, I, I forget that you have a mind of your own, and I'm sorry, but here's how I kind of feel about it. And then I might interject how I feel without using shame and condemnation. And I would also add this, that when you're doing that, you do it humbly. Here's yeah. something. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying from my experience, I just, this is what I'm thinking. So you're kind of very careful, tiptoeing around, doing the assertion. Yeah, and when this all happens, it may feel awkward when you first do it, because it will be. It's okay to fall on your face and come back and say, I was trying something to, to, to do better with this, and I failed, but I'm going to fail forward. I'm going to keep trying. It will be awkward at first, but put the car in gear, keep moving forward. And the last thing is E, which is encouragement. So at the end of that conversation, I might come back and say, I am so glad you were honest with me. I'm so glad I got to hear where you're coming from and that you listened to me. I think this is going to move our relationship forward, and I'm going to do my best. You know, it's, it's just, again, it's, it's more than just disarming. It's creating a safe a place. A safe place. Now, some of you think, oh, come on. That's Mr. Rogers. 
It never goes that way. Yeah, it does. Because I was a, an intense father, husband, uh, a yeller, sarcastic, telling my kids that, oh, that's brilliant. You're probably one of the smartest kids I've ever seen. All that kind of stuff. Really a great guy. My 19-year-old son comes to me, and I had learned this, and I realized what a pain in the rear I was, and so I changed. I didn't make any declarations. I'm changing. I just changed. He comes in, and he goes, Dad, and my wife is next to me. Dad, there's really things I'd like to share with you, but I just feel like I can't because you're so sarcastic, and you just ruin everything. And I go, you're right. I do that. And I am so sorry. And he goes, he looks at my wife and he goes, is he for real or is he playing me? And she goes, I think he's for real. It transformed my relationships with my kids and my wife, with everybody I meet. Why? Yeah. Because you live out of your relationship. You live out of your identity in Christ. We all have that. If Christ is in you, you're complete. Now you can enter into somebody's world and not try to win. You can actually serve and you can actually hang in it with them even if they're calling you names. And if this made sense to you this morning, we have some books out of here that have the information in it which will help you further with this. That's why yeah. we brought them. Yeah. So. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are always safe. Your arms are never crossed, brow furrowed, pacing across the floor, frustrated, talking bad about us, spreading gossip. You are madly and crazy in love with us. You understand us. And I pray that we, your children, would project that same grace, not only in for ourselves, but for others around us. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.